So I'll be asking him to bless this study this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for each and every person that's here with us this morning, and we thank you for each of these brothers and sisters that we've mentioned here just now. Keep every one of them close to your heart, Father, where we know they are, because you do care for us, and you told us to cast our cares upon you. So we've brought all these cares before you now, and we ask that you will minister to each one of them as we have enumerated them. We ask also now, Father, that you will be with us in this study that we're about to have and that you'll help us to see more of your mind, more of your way of thinking. Help us to see that you do identify with us, that you're not ashamed to call us brothers, even though we have been wild beasts and, and that even though we have been the seed of the serpent himself. You've redeemed us from these things, but you want us to remember from whence we came, and always be grateful for the blessings that you bestow upon us. We ask these things all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, I'm not uh, going to get into the verses that, uh, we're that, that are here in Isaiah 6. I'm just going to answer the question today, what is a seraph? And we'll be going back to Revelation and and to uh, the book of Numbers and the book of Ezekiel to do that. But I want to get this firmly in our minds before we carry on with this study. <coughs> We've learned that the seraphims, which is just the plural for seraph, uh, as a matter of fact, the word right there in Isaiah 6 is simply seraph. But seraphims are are the same as the four living creatures and the four cherubims and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders. They're all, one and all, types of God's elect who were redeemed to God out of every kindred, tongue, people, and nation. The seraphim perform the same function that the cherubim and the wild, four wild beasts perform. They're all around the throne of God, and this is just according to the scriptures, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. <clears throat> but let's look in Revelation 5, verses 8 and 9, and see what these creatures tell us about themselves. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, notice now it's, it's both of those groups, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. If we can just believe what we read, it would open our eyes. And they sung a song saying, now let's believe what we're about to read here. You are worthy, for you have taken the book, uh, to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us, us who? The four uh, beasts and the four and twenty elders. The four living creatures of Daniel 1 and 10. Which are also called cherubims there. And these seraphims that we're reading about in Isaiah. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. 
There it is. The word us means us. The we means we. It's, it's not someone else. It's the four beasts and the four and twenty elders who symbolize us who have been redeemed to God out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. We've learned the seraphims have a message to bring to those who make up the house of God, which message causes the posts of the door of the house of God to be moved and to fill his house with smoke. Isaiah 6, 3 and 4, we've already gone over this, but I want to read it again. And one of the seraphims cried to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door of the house of God, which house you are, were moved at the voice of him that cried. And the house was filled with smoke. Now, I've written on this subject earlier, but for this study, I want to make clear here in the sixth chapter of Isaiah exactly what these seraphims are before we continue with what we're told is their purpose and function in the holy place, which is the temple of God in the heavens themselves. And uh, I hope you all recognize that the heavens themselves of, uh, of Hebrews 9.23, where that phrase is found, is you and me. The better things that have to be cleansed with better sacrifices than the blood bulls and goats. Seraphim is the Hebrew plural of the word seraph. So, what is a seraph? We've discussed the biblical de definition of the four living creatures, the cherubims, the four beasts of Ezekiel 1.10, Revelation 4 and 5. And in all of those chapters, these four living creatures around the throne of God in the temple in heaven are described as a man, a lion, <clears throat> an ox, and an eagle. Ezekiel 1, verse 10. As for the likeness of their faces, they four had the face of a man and the face of a lion on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side and also the face of an eagle. Now, these are the exact same faces on the, on the four creatures in the midst of and around the throne of God in the holy place in his temple in the heavens in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, verses 6 and 7. And before the throne was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst, that's in the middle of the throne. Get this. And round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Exact same creatures mentioned in Ezekiel. Now, it's very interesting when you can take notice that three of these four creatures are what the scriptures call unclean wild beasts. The man, the lion, the eagle are all wild beasts in scripture. The only beast of the four which is not unclean according to the requirements, you know, split the hoof and chew the cud of Leviticus is the ox. Uh, Leviticus 11, verses uh, 2, 3, and verse 13, to get the eagle in there. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, These are the beasts which you shall eat among the beasts that are on the earth. Whatsoever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, cloven and chews the cud among the beasts, that shall you eat. All the others are unclean. Uh, and then skipping down to verse 13, And these are they which you shall have in abomination among the fowls. They shall not be eaten. They are an abomination. The eagle 
right there, the one around the throat of those other unclean beasts, the ospreage and the osprey. Now, with that in mind, we will now examine what the scriptures reveal is a seraph, which we're told is also a winged beast right there with the Lord sitting on, upon a throne. Ezekiel 6, 1 and 2, In the year of Uzziah died, I also... I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, which had six wings. With twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. Now here's Strong's definition of this Hebrew word seraph, which is the word which is tra translated as seraphim here in uh, Isaiah 6. Uh, the definition is burning, that is, figuratively, a poisonous serpent, specifically a seraph or symbolic creature. Uh, from the copper color, he says, fiery serpent is how it's normally translated. Here are the entries. <clears throat> Five times it's translated as fiery serpents. And there are the uh, five times. And two times, for some strange reason, they saw fit right here in Isaiah 6, 2 and verse 6 to translate it uh, as seraphims. And uh, we'll, we'll consider why they did that. If this Hebrew word seraph is five times translated a fiery serpent, then why is it translated as seraphims here in verses 2 and 6 of Isaiah? Let's look at the verses where this word seraph first appears in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 6. Uh, that's where we'll start. And they journeyed, this is Israel, in the wilderness, they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. Edom wouldn't let them pass through. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? I mean, you know, they'd, they'd seen all the miracles in Egypt. They saw the Red Sea part, half a mile deep right there where they went through. They had been through a lot already, and they still had no faith. And this is you and me. This is us. This is us. We have no faith for so long. And we complain. The people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathes this light bread. They hated that manna they had to eat every day. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now that should tell you what a fiery serpent is. <clears throat> the word fiery here in verse uh, six is the word seraph. That's you look at your Strong's concordance, or you look at your e sword, and it'll let you know that the word there is seraph. It's the same word translated seraphims in Isaiah six. Israel is once again complaining against God for bringing them out of Egypt, and consequently God sent fiery serpents to bite, bite and devour the rebellious of Israel. Immediately after the Hebrew word seraph is the Hebrew word nakash which is consistently, without exception, translated as serpent or serpents throughout the Old Testament. 
there you see the word uh, nakash uh, with its definition a, definition, a snake. And it occurs 31 times. And I said, as I said, it's consistently serpents. <clears throat> or serpents, plural or singular, but mostly the singular. Singular. After the Lord sent uh, fiery serpents, Seraph and Akash, among the people, and after they bit the people, and much people died, this is what we read, verse 7, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make you a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that if that everyone that is bitten, when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, the words fiery serpent in verse 8 here, the Lord said unto Moses, make you a fiery serpent. That word is seraph again. That's, that, that's what's behind those words, those two words. Unlike the fiery serpent in verse 6, where they have both words seraph and akash behind the fiery serpent, nevertheless, fiery serpent is a good translation for the word seraph because the very next verse tells us that in obedience to the Lord's commandment in verse 8 to make you a seraph, Moses made a serpent, a nakash of brass, and put it upon a pole. That's what, that's what we read there in verse 9. Moses made a serpent. That word is nakash. So a seraph is a nakash. And the beasts biting Israel were serpents. But they weren't just any serpent. They were poisonous, venomous, fiery serpents. Seraph nakash. Because they bit the people and much people of Israel died. So clearly a seraph is a serpent. But it's not just any serpent. It's a venomous serpent who bites us and kills us. We've always been conditioned to believe that dying is not good and dying of a snake bite is certainly never considered to be an experience anyone in his right mind would ever want to endure. But what does Christ tell us about dying? Here it is, John, 24, John 12, verses 24 and 25. Verily I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall, fall into the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, the story of what happened is reproves the truth of this counterintuitive principle given to us by Christ. Because verses 22 and 23 of Numbers 14. Because all those men which have seen my glory my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not listened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. Uh, we read that and we think, well, I don't want to be those men that didn't listen. Well, we live by every word of God, so we are all people who have not listened to the Lord's words. Everyone, there's no human in the world who just naturally listens to the words of God. 
those men who have not listened to my voice shall not see the land. But why did they not listen to Christ's voice? Christ himself answers that question, and this is talking to you and me about you and me. John 8, verse 43 and 44. Why do you not understand my speech? I was in my 40s before I even began to understand what I was reading in the Word of God, and here's why. Even because you cannot hear my word. I would read these words that we have read this morning, and I just didn't see it. Just like all of you. We just don't see what's right before our eyes. No man can. Here's one of the verses that I just read and could not see. No man can come to me. Not that he doesn't want to. No man can come to me except the spirit which has uh, sent me drag him. The word is drag. It's not draw or seduce or, or entice. It's drag, kicking and screaming against our own will to him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Now, the death of the generation that saw the miracles of Christ performed in Egypt, and that was Christ who was doing all of that. Those who came out of Egypt and still tempted God had to die and could not enter into the land. Well, that's still true. The Lord sends serpents to destroy us at that point in our spiritual journey. Because we are of our father the devil before we are the children of God, and we must be destroyed at the hand of that old serpent, the devil. Our old man has got to die. We are living sacrifices, and we are dying daily because we are having false doctrines, lies, the desire to fit into the world burned out of us every day. John 8, 44. Ye, those he's talking. John, in John 8, Christ is talking to those Jews that believed on him. Read verses 31 and 32. This is who he's talking to. You who believe on Christ, who witnessed Christ's miracles, who ate his loaves and fishes, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. How could Christ say that to those Jews that believed on him? Well, it's because... Everyone claims to believe in Christ. They just don't like his doctrine. Revelation 12, verse 9. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now notice that. Dragon, serpent, devil, Satan. All the same thing, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now that's all of his ministers and uh, evangelists and all those that follow him. Here's another definition, biblical example of four different symbols for the same one evil spirit, the devil and Satan. The serpent is not a free agent. He's not. He's nothing more than a very necessary tool in the Lord's hand, as the book of Job demonstrates. Satan can't scratch his nose without God giving him uh, the order. This is nowhere more clearly demonstrated than the events surrounding the death and crucifixion of our Lord himself. Those who are given to see this must acknowledge. Acts 4, verses 26 through 28. The kings of the earth, tools in God's hand, 
set up by God, ordained of God. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his Christ. For of a truth against your holy child Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod, that's the Jewish king, Pontius Pilate, representative of Rome, with the Gentiles, the whole Gentile world, and the people of Israel, God's own supposed people. It's like saying the, the, the uh, Muslims, the Christians, and the uh, uh, Hindus and the Buddhists were all gathered together against Christ. For what purpose? For what purpose? Here's the purpose. This is why they were doing it. This, this is the reason they all did it. For to do whatsoever your hand and your counsel determined before to be done. Christ himself is prefigured by both a lion and a lamb. Two very different beasts. The one is clean, the other isn't. The next day John sees Jesus coming unto him. This is John 1 verse 29. And says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And then in verse 36, he says, looking on Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. But look at Hosea 11, verse 10. They shall walk after the Lord. He, the Lord, shall roar like a lion. When he, has, when he shall roar, then the children shall tremble from the west. Revelation 5, 5. One of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, the verse, verse 4 said that he looked and saw a lamb as it had been slain from, uh, from the foundation of the world. Verse 5, it says, he looked at this lamb and what he saw was a lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David had prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. In Numbers 21, the seraph, the poisonous serpent, was the instrument of Christ to kill rebellious Israel. That's what God's word does to us. It destroys our old man. And the likeness of a seraph was also the instrument of Christ to give life to those who had been bitten by the serpent when they looked upon the seraph, the brazen serpent. Christ knew what all this meant when he made this statement concerning himself in John 3. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth on in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he was only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you know that John 3.16 was referring to a serpent in the wilderness? Nobody ever makes that connection there. Christ said, as the Son of Man was lifted up, and it brings life to to those that believe on him, he said he has to be lifted up. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't have that verse here, but he says that like, he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. But it, another scripture tells us that he was referring to the type of death he would die. Christ on the cross, Christ on the cross gives life. And you and I have to recognize that we are crucified with him on that cross. And that we, who truly are serpents of our father the devil, at one time in our walk, 
we are part of that sacrifice that must be looked upon by others. Everybody's looking at you. They're looking at you. They're seeing what kind of a person you are. They know whether you're dying daily or not, whether you're walking the walk or just talking the talk. Those who looked upon the serpent didn't perish but lived. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. No seraph, those poisonous beasts, flying beasts with six wings, are around the throne of God, because that's who we are. It's Christ who likens himself. And the life he brings us to the serpent being lifted up in the wilderness to give life to those who rebelled against him. It should be becoming clear that what Christ means when he tells us this. Revelation 21, verse 6, he said unto me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the waters of life freely. Christ wants us to know that he's the beginning and the end of all of his works. But he also wants us to know that he starts out with a marred vessel of corruptible clay. Let's read about it, John, Jeremiah 18, verse 4. The vessel he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it, get, made it again another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. He didn't make a mistake with the first vessel. He deliberately made it marred in his hand. It was deliberate. God doesn't make mistakes. But God does create evil. Isaiah 45, verse 7, the word evil is the same word translated evil in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the Hebrew word ra. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Now this I say, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption, flesh, that's what flesh is, marred in the potter's hand. No, no chance of, of, uh, no chance of Adam eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I mean, the knowledge, uh, uh, the tree of life, ahead of the tree of the knowledge of good. And that wasn't going to happen. We were called in Christ before the world began, which tells us that God knew what uh, Adam was going to do before he ever created him. We were called in Christ before the world began. It says it twice in Timothy and in Titus. 1 Corinthians 15.50, This I say, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit uh, the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. That means Adam in the, in the flesh he was in could never was never intended to inherit the kingdom of God in that condition. The vessel he made of the clay was marred in the hand of the potter, and the crooked serpent was also made as a crooked serpent in the hand of the Lord. Job 26, verse 13, by his spirit he garnished the heavens. His hand has formed the crooked serpent. And where is that crooked serpent? Well, according to the book of Revelation, he's in the heavens. And he has to be cast out of the heavens. Because the heavens themselves must be purified. Now, you and I know what the heavens are. We don't. Because God has opened our eyes to see that he dwells in the heavens. He dwells in you and me. That his temple in the heavens is in us. Those, these are parts of his ways. But how little portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? 
Well, we hear such a little portion of him that we wonder why he has placed four unclean beasts, including a seraph, a venomous serpent, around his throne, with only one clean beast there. Yet both the four beasts and the four and twenty elders tell us that they are symbols of those who have been redeemed to God out of every kindred tongue and people and nation to be made under their God kings and priests to reign on earth. What a wonderful part of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is what the book of Revelation is all about. Revelation 1.1, we're told, is the revealing of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Where? When? He says in verse, verse uh, 3, the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Christ said that in Matthew 24. The time is at hand. So it was that time that they lived in that these things were to come to pass. Christ said this generation will not pass away till all these things have been fulfilled. So this is a spiritual experience, this re revealing of Christ within us. And he sent his angel and signified this whole book of Revelation, which is the revealing of Christ within us, by his angel unto a servant God. Now what this means is that these seraphs, seraphims and these four beasts in Revelation 4 and 5 are all a part of the revelation of Jesus Christ, whose revelation is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, including the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God in the heavens, according to Hebrews 9, 23, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly joined together, fitly framed together, grows unto an holy temple, a temple in the heavens, according to Revelation 9, verse 11, in the Lord, in whom you are builded together in an inhabitation of God, through the Spirit. Well, where does God dwell? He dwells in the heavens. He dwells in his temple. He dwells in you and me. Now, the single message of all these symbols, all saying the same thing. We are God's habitation in, in heaven, in the book of Ezekiel. And four, the four faces of the cherubims are shared by each of the cherubims. This demonstrates, when we put the sum of God's word together, that we each, we see each creature as an individual creature in the revelation of Jesus Christ. We must remember the truth revealed in Ezekiel. We can't forget what we read back in Ezekiel. We put these things together. And what we understand is that we are all one and the same in Christ. We're all the ox, the eagle, the lion, and the man. And when we fly, we all fly together because, 1 Kings 6, 27, he set the cherubim within the inner house, and they stretched forth the wings of the cherubim so that the wing of the one touched one wall and the wing of the other cherubim touched the other wall, and their wings touched one another in the midst of the house. The wings were joined one to another, according to Ezekiel 1.9. They turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. Whereas the likeness of their faces 
they, they four had the face of a man and the face of a man on the right side, and they four had the face of an ox on the left side. They four also had the face of an eagle. Thus were their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Their wings were wings of every one were joined one to another, and two covered their bodies. And they went everyone straight forward. Whether the spirit was to go, they went, and they turned not as they went. Now, you know, have you ever seen two birds flying together with their wings attached to each other? No, you haven't, because that, that just uh, wouldn't work very well in the physical, but in the spirit realm, we can have one mind, and we can go where the spirit wants us to go. Think like God in the spirit realm. Put in all that's revealed to us concerning these seraphims and cherubs and these four beasts and four and twenty elders together. We now know that they're all symbols of those who've been redeemed to God by Christ's blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and will be made unto their God kings and priests and will reign on the earth. The fact these creatures in Ezekiel and in Revelation are four tells us that they represent the whole body of Christ. Now there's the link right there for the study on the number four for all of, all of you who may not uh, understand that. Having wings which are joined together tells us they represent the one body of Christ with many members. Their wings, uh, for their wings to be touching as they fly tells us that they must be of one mind, the mind of Christ which is what the scriptures tell us to have. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, and all the parts of the body being many, uh, many are one, mem one body, so also is the Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Now I beseech you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. You know, flap your wings together. That's what the crying of these these cherubims one to another is. It's their, their wings speaking in unison. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, what's wrong with that verse right there? Well, there's nothing wrong with that verse, but it sure doesn't fit in with what we see in the world. The church knows that it's fractured. They recognize that. They don't even attempt to live by these words. Here's what they live by. They live by unity in the essentials, and they'll tell you what's essential and what isn't. Unity in the essentials. Tolerance in the non-essentials, and they'll tell you what's non-essential and what's not. And love in all things. That's their mantra. That's ecumenism. That's the, the lie that has deceived the whole world. Satan has deceived the whole world, and that's how he has done it. He certainly isn't living by 1 Corinthians 1.10. That the four beasts are all of one mind is confirmed in Ezekiel 1, where we're told these four creatures, without hesitation, all go where the Spirit wants to go. The seraphs are venomous serpents. Only in Isaiah 6 is this Hebrew word translated as seraphims. 
the fact that venomous serpents are located at the throne of God, that they each have six wings, that they cry holy, holy, holy to one another, demonstrates that these seraphims are the exact same thing in different symbols as the uh, of the four living creatures and the four cherubims of Ezekiel 1 and 10 and the four beasts and four and twenty elders of Revelation 4 and 5. Just as the cows and the ears of corn both symbolize the same thing in Pharaoh's dream, so also these symbols are one and all figures of those who have been redeemed to God by Christ out of every nation of mankind. <coughs> Genesis 41, verse 25 and 26. Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dream is one. There it is. He says it twice. The dream of Pharaoh is one. Revelation 5, verse 9. They, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, sung a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for you were slain and have redeemed us, the twenty-four elders and the four beasts, both the same thing, redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation, and have made us unto our God, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders, both the same, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And the only reason these seraphs are not translated as fiery serpents in Isaiah 6, while they're called fiery serpents everywhere else, that the Hebrew word seraph appears, is apparently because the translators couldn't bring themselves to tell us that the scriptures teach that venomous serpents are symbols of those who are around the throne of God. The use of symbolism, of the symbolism of the three unclean wild beasts and venomous serpents with only one clean beast around the throne of God is given to us to make us mindful of what we are without the favor and the work of the grace of Christ within the lives of all who are the elect of God. God's elect are in and of themselves no better or any more worthy of the Lord's favor than Satan himself. All of God's creatures are just what he has made them to be. And this, in the final analysis, is the truth of the word of God. Hebrews 2, verse 11. For both he that sanctifies and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause, because they're all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brothers, even though they were snakes and unclean beasts. Venomous snakes and wild beasts. Even though we were first the offspring of the venomous serpents and wild beasts, we're all of the same heavenly father. As Christ, and though Christ and his Christ, all men, each in his own order, all in Adam, will be made alive in Christ, who is not ashamed to call all men his brothers. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Remember what John said, John the Baptist of Christ? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. But, not everybody in the first resurrection, every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ's in the first resurrection at his coming. And then 1 John 2, 2. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, not just for those in the first resurrection, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
if the Lord wills, we are they, they that are Christ's who are to be made alive at his coming. Being made to know this should make us to proclaim with the Apostle Paul. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world, and we're talking about those Jews who believe on Christ who, don't, who are of their father, the devil. The world does not know us because it knew him not. Those Jews that believed on him did not know him. The Christians who claim to know Christ but want to go kill the, uh, the, the, the enemy of the day is the Muslims. When I was a kid, it was the communists and the Russians. It doesn't matter who or where it is. Christ said, love your enemies. And we're told in 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. The world can't, doesn't know that mindset. They don't know it. They can't receive it. But now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It doesn't get any better than that. And that's the calling given to the few who are able to receive it. Thank you all for being here. And uh, we will uh, now open up, open up for 